Welcome to the Creative Financing Podcast, where you'll learn how to structure terms and use various creative financing strategies to create profitable deals for short and long-term wealth. Whether you're a buy and hold investor, wholesaler, or flipper, learning creative financing will help you do more deals and unlock profits that you may not even know existed. On the Creative Financing Podcast, we break down actual deals we and our guests are doing and simplify the methods and terms used to execute these strategies. Now, let's dive in and create some terms. Hello and welcome to the Creative Financing Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Gallegos, here with Jeff Rappaport. And today, guys, we have a special guest uh, that we're going to be interviewing here by the name of Mike Cowper. And uh, this is a friend of Jeff's that he met in, uh, I think, the Seven Figure Flipping Mastermind Group. And um, they've kind of stayed connected ever since. Um, Mike does some uh, creative financing deals. Um, he's done some in the past and he's currently doing some. So we're going to jump into that. But uh, Jeff, tell us a little bit about Mike and uh, why you wanted to bring him on. Well, first of all, thanks, Mike, for being on. I appreciate it. And uh, Mike and I have never met. Uh, I, I was part of this mastermind last year. Uh, Mike was involved and uh, we had a couple of conversations and then we started talking about the podcast and creative financing and we've had a number of conversations ever since and uh, he just started using the information and uh, now we're part of a new mastermind so I actually will meet him next month in January but uh, I definitely feel like I know him already. We've had I mean, we talked for an hour yesterday, right, Mike? Yeah, it's, it's funny that you actually said that we haven't physically met in person, but I feel like I know you incredibly yeah. well for how many conversations <laughs> and that we've had about everything. Yeah, yeah. And really, and Mike will tell you a little bit about what he does, where, what market he works in, but an experienced investor for sure. And uh, so we're going to take a couple minutes, find out a little bit more about Mike, and then... Uh, We'll dive in and talk about what Mike's doing as far as creative financing. Awesome. Let's get started. Awesome. Well, first of all, thank you guys for having me on. I, I, I'm not kidding when I say I've gotten more value out of this podcast out of it than most, um, just because it does really allow for the basics at the very beginning, right? If, if this is your first one listening to it and you're trying to understand creative finance, I've never heard of a better podcast or maybe even education out there on a lot yeah. of the tactical, you know, step-by-step processes. It's not just, hey, yeah, yeah, you know, you sell it for high interest and get a big down payment. Right? You guys do a really good job of tactically breaking it down. And when anybody ever talks about creative finance, I'm trying to send them your way because I've never seen as good of content as this. Well, thank wow, you, thank Mike. You. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a compliment. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's just our format. It's, it's a mentor-mentee or coach-coachy, uh, you know, teacher-student format. So I think that works really well. It really does. And you know, you ask great questions. Jeff has great information and you've got experience now that you've been ramping it up for over the time you've been doing this. Um, but yeah, Jeff and I met and when, you know, he was a part of the seven figure group uh, about, you know, six, to, about six months ago, 
another one of the leaders of the seven figure group and myself, Don, um, we started our own mastermind. There was just a little bit of transition going on. The seven figure got sold to Bill Allen. He's doing awesome things with it. Uh, Don and myself just had a little bit different vision for what a mastermind that we wanted to participate in, which focused on all aspects of real estate investing. Um, there's a lot of groups out there that have, you know, very specific target audiences and target, you know, exit strategies. We wanted to have a little smaller group, right? With caps on people and total members, but also being able to talk about all different types of investing, which really intrigues me is the creative finance side. So before I dig into what I'm doing right now and how I really uh, moved into that is, I, I guess I'll give you a quick background on how I got started and yeah. what my business primarily is. Yeah, and what market you work in, that kind of stuff. Excellent. Yeah. So uh, I am in the, the Michigan market near Detroit. Uh, we work in primarily the three counties, Oakland, Macomb, and Wayne County. Our business doesn't specifically do anything in Detroit. We uh, outsource a lot of those leads and do deal splits with people. It was just a challenge. Um, if you don't know it's street by street level, it can be a very dangerous investing area. I mean, there's literally a place called Gross Point, million dollar houses. You cross the street, there's $500 burnt out houses. Interesting. So it's very <laughs> hard to target specifically because my business is a wholesale business and we do mass mailings. We do a lot of postcards, letters, things like that to try and generate leads. And the way we do it, it was just very hard to be a sniper about it in the city of Detroit. And we just felt it wasn't our best and highest purpose. And I, I, to be honest, I, I just don't like going there. It's not great for parking. <laughs> Rock Street. I don't know it's street street enough. So about five years ago, almost um, actually about a month off from the day, I bought my first rental. I went to a RIA group. I got some education from the local uh, mentors. Funny story, it'll be very quick. Um, I got a call from one that was in that group with me. He just sued one of the leaders and got a judgment against her for uh -oh. <laughs> fraud. So um, got lucky, that didn't happen to me. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but I got lucky, it didn't happen to me. They did help me get and buy my first rental property. And that's when I really got the bug. I always wanted to build up passive income. I wanted to be able to, you know, kind of four hour work week style, be able to do what I want when I want type of situation. Not all the way there yet. And what I'm starting to see is that over my time of, you know, being a landlord, I, I think at one point I had, you know, 15 single families and I was a part owner of a 40 unit apartment building. And I've wholesaled hundreds of deals over the past, you know, four years with my partner at Return on Investments. So we really focus on wholesaling and that was almost the singular driver for a long time with us in our business. And then it just got more competitive. I believe everyone's probably feeling that, right? Everyone thinks their market's maybe the most competitive one out there. You might not be wrong because every market is so specific and there's a lot of people getting into it, which is great, but it also does make you have to be more creative on how you can make deals. And that's really why I've transitioned into this. And, and I'll say two real reasons I thought this, creative financing made the most sense. One, I was tired of being a landlord. I'm paying my property manager hundred bucks a month. Our property taxes here in Metro Detroit, Michigan are ridiculous. And I don't think a lot of people factor that in sometimes because I didn't start to recognize that until about a year ago. For a $50,000 house, I'm paying 2,500 to three grand a year in property taxes. For a $50,000 house? Yes. That will hurt the cash flow. It kills it. <laughs> insurance and insurance premiums are higher here. I believe I, I don't have any benchmark, but most of my rentals are looking at, you know, 800 to $1,000 a year in insurance. So that's a high oh, wow. for a $50,000 house again. For a $50,000 <laughs> house. 
Because I think there's something about the stigma of Detroit. They're still technically like if it's in a certain radius, I think the insurance company goes, I don't care. <laughs> right? It's, it, yeah. it is what it is. They just run off of statistics and numbers. Yep. Then on top of that, um, the cities, I don't know if it's on purpose or not, or it's just perception of investors. I'll, I'll own that, that it might just meet you know, him sour grapes and other investors sour grapes, but they seem to have a lot more strict uh, inspections for landlords versus a homeowner. And they've also started to implement a lot of pre-sale inspections. So if you sell a house without having the city come out and inspect it, you can technically get in trouble. So they're throwing a lot of work in front of everything that I'm trying to do as a landlord, adding costs. And it just became a headache. I wasn't getting the cash I wanted because it's going to taxes, it's going to insurance, it's going to furnish repairs, it's going to my property manager, it's going to my lenders. And you know, at the end of the day, yes, I'm, I guess I'm paying it down, but in 30 years, okay, I'll have it free and clear. I get the depreciation. That's nice. But I want to have that money to be able to use and invest now. So what I started to transition into, and this came a lot from talking with Jeff and listening to the podcast and seeing what other people were doing. Um, and I do want to give a shout out to Wendy Patton. She's local here and she's a good friend of mine and she's helped me out a lot as well with the local matters. But um, I started taking my rentals on turnovers and just sell them on land contract. Okay. Now I get a down payment that I get to keep no matter what. It's not like a security deposit. I get to amortize a loan and, and I've decided the way I'm going to do it. And this could shift, right? I reserve the right to get uh, smarter and change my, my, my tactics as I've done already. But yeah, I'm selling it on 30-year amortizations. I'm not putting a balloon in place. And I'm just looking at the total interest on them. And, and Jeff kind of alluded to this. Of the three I've sold in the past two months, I've got 11% interest on all three of them. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And, and you have a limit, right, in Michigan before it becomes a usury issue, right? And that limit is what, Mike? Uh, so this is me being dumb. What does usury limit mean? <laughs> that means that you're... You, the, the maximum amount of interest you can charge legally. Yes. So the first one I was selling on land contract, I actually negotiated 12%, but then the title company informed me that 11% was the state cap. Yeah. So, so 12% would be it. usury. <laughs> so you're getting the highest interest rate that you can legally. Yes. And in and, and the flip side of that coin, and, and I know when, and your guys' podcast, especially in the, the Utah area and markets that you're in, I don't want to say all of them, but where I'm finding the challenge in the flip side of the coin to right, having high interest is I'm struggling to get good down payments, what I would consider a good down payment. I'm under 10%, I think, on every single one of them. I think it's usually somewhere in that 4 to 7% range of the, the purchase price. But as long as they can continually perform on their mortgage payments or land contract payments, I know you guys call it a title for deed contract for deed contract, contract for, for deed. deed. Yeah. Sorry. I always get those confused in my head. Cause I always yeah. use land contract here and then you guys use contract for deed. Um, but essentially they're the same thing from, from my understanding, yes. but I'm not getting great down payments on them. So, but the way I'm looking at it is I am actually, what I want is the passive income. So yeah. as long as they're not going to destroy the house, then I'm okay with that. And even if they do and they keep making the payments, again, I don't care. It's their house. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's the yeah. price range that you're selling most of these for, Mike? What's so I actually, I pulled this up so I had the numbers. Um, two of the houses I don't have great stats on right away because they have been rentals that I've had for several years. And when they turned over, um, I just I decided to sell them on land contract. They were already nicely renovated because when I bought my rentals, I basically uh, took a model from another local investor and I kind of flipped them. I, you know, I made them like granite. I had new cabinets. I mean, I basically it was a really nice renovation because I wanted to have the best house 
at similar rates to everybody else. So turnover never took place. Yeah. Bada bing. That's wrong. Still turnover. People still <laughs> sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, at least for my, my, my experience. Yeah. Um, but I did end up selling uh, the first one I sold for 115,000. I used okay. the MLS. I got a $12,000 down payment and 11% interest. So that one you did get like 10% down. Yeah, that one, I, that was the closest one. Actually, yeah. I don't, now that I'm saying that, I might actually be wrong on that. <laughs> I'm not the most detail-oriented person on the planet. Um, the, the second one I sold was uh, for 95000 and I got ten grand down on that. 10%. And I guess, okay, so and I guess when part. I... And then when I'm saying I don't get 10% down, maybe I'm wrong in that, but I was using the MLS and I'm trying to get away from that just yeah. to keep the money yeah. in my pocket because you know, 3% of that ends up going to You're, you're not netting 10% yes. down is what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. But you're still getting that money, which is great because uh, to be honest, someone that's putting down 10 grand on a $100,000 home is actually pretty invested in that property, right? I mean, yeah. these aren't people that have like loads of money typically. So... That, that's a good that's a good down payment for those type yeah, of for that price range yeah for yeah. sure yeah you're actually making me feel better and i and i, and I definitely misspoke because the next one um this one is actually the most recent house and, and this i started to follow from a different not a different model but i got a paradigm shift um i was in our meeting for the inner circle elite in san antonio and um an investor came out there mitch stevens i i, I didn't really know who he was but jeff you know knows who he was that we were talking last night and he was sharing with us, you know, that he basically buys on land contract, does nothing to them, and then just sells them as is. So I tested that. Uh, the most recent one I bought two weeks ago-ish from today for $35,000. In 10 days, I sold it to somebody else for $60,000 with 6000 down. Nice. And part of my model is I have private financers that funded the purchase at forty-five. So I had that for renovations. Now I just get to keep that as an assignment fee to myself, a flip to myself, and that 6K down to leverage that either for marketing, to pay down debt, pay down interest, and, and whatever it is. But, but it gives me the flexibility. It's almost like I got a flip profit and I'm going to get the recurring monthly revenue from it too. So that so is exciting me a lot. Can I ask some questions? Because I think what you just talked about was brilliant and I, I don't want to kind of just run right over it. So you bought this property for 35. I assume it needs a bunch of work, right? This one was actually moving ready. Okay. So not I too bought it from my, I bought it from my wholesale company. Um, the, the, my, I have a, like I said, I had a partner. He didn't see the same vision I did at the same time because I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of proving it out myself yep. and I'm taking the risk on my own, yep. which paid off on this one. But yeah, yep. so I paid a $5,000 assignment fee. That's how I got to 35. Okay. Um, what, what do you think the ARV was or is on this property? Well, I sold it for 60. I think that was about ARV. It might've been a hair less or it, it, that was right in the ballpark, 60. Okay. okay, so basically you you bought a property and you how long did it take you to turn around and sell it? I had it under contract with the buyer within, I'd say five to seven days. And okay. then it was closed within probably 14 to 16 business days, uh, 16 days, just because. Okay. Because I, I had to use it, I was using a title company to do the the second part of the sale, which I'm reconsidering after a conversation last night. And I don't know if that yeah. I should, I guess, get too technical with everybody because what I'm thinking of doing might be a hair riskier than your audience needs. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll leave that for our separate discussions. How's that? Um, Fair enough. Uh, so so you bought this property for like thirty five. You borrowed the money, 
you borrowed how much? 45. Because so, if I had to do some work, I, I wanted to have enough for the rehab. Carpet paint. It was about a 1,200 square foot, you know, colonial. Yep. So it, what the goal was is, hey, I'm going to have this kind of money sitting just in case. And if I don't need it, then it goes into my hip national bank, right? Um, and which is what happened. So you made, you know, what, eight nine $9,000 right off the bat for just buying the property. Then you ended up selling it and getting a $6,000 payment. So you're probably around 15000 up right now on a $60,000 home. And is there a cash flow? Do you have passive income? Yes. So the cash flow right now, because um, the way I, I typically structure it with my lenders, I do interest only payments yep. to them. Because um, my goal is to build up, you know, and kind of debt snowball it, you know, keep using my cash flow and then pay down other stuff. And then I've got that, you know, big chunk of change from the initial financing, which yep. I'm paying interest on. So yeah, I'm cash flowing uh, 176.75 after pulling out 15 grand. That's awesome. Nice. On, a, on that low price of a property, I mean, that's, that's great. And it's the infinite cash flow because I didn't put any of my own money into it. Exactly. Did, did you sell that one on the MLS? Did you use an agent? On that, that was my first private, you know, owner, owner sale. I used Facebook Marketplace. I threw it on there and um, <clears throat> You know, I was telling Jeff this last night, and this actually might be something worth you sharing with the audience because it, it kind of blew my mind because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of an anal person about control, but I went there to show it to four people. Nobody showed up. The buyer that ended up buying it, his guy, he, he's, he ultimately was buying it for one of his uh, managers of a company he runs here in Detroit. He's actually out of Ohio. I took a video walkthrough while I was there, sent it to him. He texted me back. I was, okay, that's good. Send me the DocuSign. <laughs> <laughs> so I showed up. Nobody actually came there. And then this is where Jeff kind of enlightened me last night. And I think you should share with the audience because I was thinking I had to go on all these appointments and I've been wasting my time thinking I need to hire an assistant. So how do you show your properties, Jeff and John? <laughs> so one of the things that, that I would, first of all, there's no way that I'm going to show properties. No chance. I've done this long. Exactly. I've done this long enough to know, you know, I remember probably 15 years ago, I, I had a property under contract in, um, by Park City. Uh, and it was in the winter, and it was a beautiful house on like 10 acres. And someone called me and said, yeah, I want to see it. And I want to see it in an hour. And it's about 45 minutes away from me. And it was a blizzard. And I drove up there in a blizzard and they didn't show up and i i was I, I i told myself from then on i'm never doing this again so i i have my own ways of doing it but we talked about a number of different ways um really if someone wants to see one of our properties that's vacant um, that we're selling on you know but it doesn't even matter whether it's owner finance or cash or whatever uh we, we ask them to send us a picture of their driver's license and um We'll lockbox it and we'll give them a code and we'll just tell them, please call us when you're done. Let us know that all the lights are off, that it's locked up, the key's back in the key box. And if there's an issue, uh, we, we've got their driver's license. And then we talked kind of last night about putting a little security stuff in because it's really not very expensive anymore. Um, having a couple of cameras around and now it's like, oh, my refrigerator just disappeared. Um, uh, Yep, it wouldn't be an issue. And it's funny, we, we have a friend 
um, that's a rehabber. This just happened in the last two weeks. He rehabbed the house completely, all done. Um, and it was, he went out of town for a few days, the, the real estate signs in the yard and it's for sale. And he came back and the driveway was gone. The uh, driveway. The driveway. Um, and it's not a little driveway. It goes all the way back to a detached garage. And it, what, what I, I believe happened is that someone hired an excavator to come out and you know, dig up a driveway and they went to the wrong address. Oh. And he's been on the news, you know, but he has no idea. The neighbors all saw it, but they didn't really pay any attention. It took two or three days to tear out this whole driveway. But it's gone. And he, if he had a camera, he'd know exactly. You know, no one's stepping up and saying, oh, my bad. Um, Man, that's, that's a story for the books. Huh? <laughs> I was just going to say, right? you, you never get friend. enough good stories in real estate investing. because there, there's. Oh, I thought that was going a totally different direction. I thought their whole inside was going to be janked out, not their driveway. <laughs> no, the driveway. Yep. The driveway. Who steals the driveway? But the, the moral of the story is, you know, spend a couple hundred bucks, get a camera or two, and um, yeah, don't go see, don't go show properties to buyers. I mean, you'll just mess it up anyway. Yeah, that alone right there is going to save me so much time and money. It's not even funny. Whatever, I was thinking of simply save, right? Whatever that costs, yeah, way more than the, the half hour to drive out there, the half hour to sit around and wait and show, and then the half hour hour to go back. And your sanity, <laughs> Mike, because I mean. I, I can't stand, I mean, the, all the people that won't show up. So now you're just irritated that you spent yeah. all this time and no one showed up. And then the people that walk through in 10 seconds say, no, this isn't for me. It's like, hmm. Uh, or now they want to negotiate. It's like, hey, I'm not even there to negotiate. There's no negotiations. I, yep. Call me if you want it. <laughs> right, right. Cool. Good. So let's uh, let's talk about land contracts a little bit. You still there, guys? Yep. Um, <clears throat> so tell me a little bit about that, Mike. With land contracts, um, are you guys, is it, is it kind of a trust document being used or is it uh, kind of a, an actual contract, like a contract for deed that we would use here in the state of Utah? So I don't exactly know what a contract for deed is, but I, I believe that's the same thing. So there is a land contract purchase that we sign, it's not a purchase agreement. So it's actually an outline of the entire agreement, you know, with three pages of all the different lines, you know, has the, the forfeiture in there, the foreclosure option in there, the terms are all outlined. And that's why I've historically been using the title companies is to, you know, kind of prepare all that stuff for me, but I'm getting a little bit more comfortable understanding and reading them. So yeah, essentially it is, I'm selling it. I believe again, right. This is me getting, I haven't really aggressively pursued this. I, I bought a few subject to here and there, but I usually end up flipping them or quickly selling them. Um, so I've never held on to them super long, but I believe what happens is the title transfers, but the deed does not until they fulfill all the obligations of the contract. And I think Jeff could probably confirm or deny that. Title doesn't transfer. So in uh -oh. this case, it's um, you, you or your company owns these properties. The, the title is staying in that name. Um, what you're doing is you're in the, Technically, you know, the people may argue this, but technically the, the person that you've sold the property to is now the owner. However, um, on title, anyone goes to title, they're going to see Mike Cowper or Mike's company or Mike's trust or whatever it is that you did to purchase this property. Um, 
and it's it's kind of like a hybrid between a rental and a sale but um in reality they're the owners um uh but you don't violate any due on sale which you're not really worried about in this case you've got private financing um and you got a quick i assume a quicker um i don't know what the foreclosure process is i know in michigan you have a um there's a six-month redemption period a redemption period yes and so i imagine you don't have that issue with the land contract so that, that's much much nicer if you had an issue in case of a default so it's almost identical I, and I, i'm curious mike so are you is your title company putting any kind of like notice of interest or a memorandum against the property yes they record um a memorandum of land contract with the okay company. so they're just letting the rest of the world know that that does exist so you can't go and sell it to someone else um or refinance it for a hundred grand um uh they're clouding the title basically yes and and i think they should right yeah as long as yeah, you gotta protect to that buyer too that's yeah. that's the thing that I, I love most about you know you guys too is that you, know, you guys are moral <clears> and ethical there, there's i'm sure people out there that take advantage of every single potential gray area and loopholes. Like, I don't want anyone to ever default. And that's why I decided that the 30 year is fine with me, right? Yeah. If I can stack up 300, 500, you know, land contract notes over time, <laughs> sweet. I don't yeah. care. If, but most people are going to probably end up refinancing or selling it or over time, right? Not many people take their mortgage all the way to fruition. And I mean, for simplicity's sake, that's what a land contract is. We're, we're the mortgage holder. Yeah. Yep. yep. Well, and it's funny that you just said that, Hey, I don't care if they refinance or sell. They'll probably do that over the next, you know, whatever years. I it's think the funny. average is seven. I think I looked that, into that. That, that might be true. Uh, but in my experience, it's almost like I have to remind these people. It's like if they ever start getting into a little bit of trouble, you know, hardship, maybe they haven't defaulted, but it, you know, they're getting to be a little late on their payments, you know, that you can tell they're struggling. They don't even think about that one of the options is, I can sell this property. Uh, <laughs> I, it's amazing to me. I, I, don't, I think they're just thrilled that they're able to get into the house, but it's not clicking for them that, hey, three years, four years down the road, I could sell this property. Uh, you know, and if, if I'm having a hard time, I can take my equity and go somewhere else. I can actually sell it and make some money. Right. Yeah, actually, I'm glad you said that. I hadn't even thought about having that conversation. I mean, right, because I'm so new to it. I think I've gotten like two land contract payments because the last two sales, they don't, they don't, you know, hit my next books until January 1. But you're right. If, if they start to creep behind, hey, guys, you know, you should, when you can, refinance me out, if nothing else. 11% is ridiculous. Yeah. It really <laughs> is. And I, and I tell them, I go, look, it's high, but that, that's hey. what I need to sell it to you without doing any credit screening checks and this and that and the other thing, right? When you're good with Quicken or, you know, Fannie Freddie, get rid of me. That's what your goal should be. I, I'm telling them that right up front. Like, yeah. I don't want to collect all of your money forever. I mean, I kind of do, but <laughs> 11. you don't have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, one of the things that certainly could happen too, and, and, and you do this long enough, you'll, you'll come across it. So a few years down the road, someone's, you know, lost a job, had a health health issue a divorce whatever and they're struggling maybe they're behind on a payment maybe they're just late on payments and you you go to them and say 
why don't you refinance? Well, my credit's been ruined. I just got divorced or I just lost my job. I can't refinance. Uh, why don't you go sell? I don't really, I don't know what to do, how to do it. I don't want to get involved in all that. Okay, what if I give you a couple grand to help you get somewhere else and just, you know, remove that. Um, and basically that's all it is, is remove the, the notice of interest or the memorandum of land contract and they give it back to you. Um, They're basically doing deed in lieu, except we're not going to tag the credit. Uh, exactly. It's, and, yep, I had, uh, and we talked about this. We'll, we'll talk more about this, but I, last night when we were discussing stuff, I told you that, you know, there's so much more. I mean, you're just scratching the surface now, right? Yeah. Like I said, I'm on the freshman team. I'm trying to graduate from JV, <laughs> and then one day I'll get to hopefully Jeff's level on the varsity level. <laughs> so we did this deal a few years ago, and um, so I contacted the seller. I found the seller. They had had this property on the market for six months. They couldn't sell it, and they were trying to sell for a hundred and hundred and ten thousand, something like that. It's pretty low end, and. So we made a deal that we were going to give them like $7,000 down. The payment would be $500 a month for like, I don't know, four years or something. And uh, my seller was a, a professor at a college or university. And um, I told him, look, I'm not going to be your buyer. This is what we were talking about last night is that we weren't going to buy it. We weren't going to stay in the middle. We were going to wholesale it. I'm not going to be your buyer, but I will go find that buyer and we'll pre-screen them. We'll do a background criminal uh, credit check. Uh, we'll get what we told you we would get. And here's the best part. If something goes wrong down the road, you just contact us. We'll either guide you through it or we'll just take over so you don't have to do anything. And he loved that idea, right? Let me clarify a little bit, Jeff, because I don't know if we, you put the whole background in there. Yeah. I was basically expressing my concern that I don't trust anybody else to do what I promised to do, what yeah. I was like subject that's to. Right. So that was always my fear. And that's being a primary wholesale company. I'm also a high integrity person. So I don't, I know I'll make my payments. I know yeah. hell or high water, I'm going to figure it out. I don't know whoever I signed it to. And, and that's, that was always been my hesitation. I, that's right. Wholesaling, you know, 100 plus properties a year. I haven't wholesaled in a, a single creative finance though, because it's just one of those things that I've built a certain amount of trust and it's a long term. So I was always hesitant to that. But what Jeff just said is awesome. So it, let me tell you how this turned out because this professor is now like one of my biggest fans. Um, so we found this buyer and he put down, he, you know, we were trying to come up with like, I don't know, I think it was like $17,000 down. Well, we found a buyer that at 40. And so I had to go back to the seller and say, hey, do you mind getting a whole bunch more money up front? But here's the issue. The buyer's credit is terrible. Uh, like the chances of him defaulting are high. And he's like, before he could stop dancing around the room, um, <laughs> he, he's like, yeah, yeah, do it, do it. Yeah, if I'm getting all my equity basically right up front, I'm in. And I said, all right, we, we got to be clear, right? I mean, this is not a good credit risk. Uh, he inherited some money. Um, you know, hopefully he'll do the right thing, but you know, history tells me that probably won't. So like two years later, two and a half years later, he broke up with his girlfriend. 
he wasn't even living in the house. He was trying to rent the house. It was, you know, uh, there were all kinds of issues. Well, I mean, this is a $500 a month payment. You're just not finding anything cheaper. If you're having problems with this, I mean, you're having problems in general. Okay, but he was not behind any payments, none. But you could see the issue coming, like he's late and you know, he's having a hard time keeping someone in there. And so the, the seller called me and said, Jeff, well, what do I do? And I'm like, well, there's nothing you really can do. He hasn't even missed a payment. He, you, know, you can start charging him a late fee, but there's not a lot that you can do. Well, I told him, look, if there's ever a problem, you don't need to worry. You just call me. Why would I be interested in jumping in this guy's position? Well, I'm jumping in where he just got that $35,000 in equity. Uh, I'm happy to take over this property at you know, 70000 that I just sold at $116,000. i am happy to go resolve the issue with the, the buyer, the, the new owner. No problem. Happy to do it. And if he doesn't want me to do it, I'll show him what he needs to do. Well, I told him, this is what I'd do. I'd go to the, the, the buyer and I'd say, look, it seems like you're having problems. I don't want you to have problems. And this again, you know, he could have just gone and sold this house, right? It did appreciate like $30,000 over the course of <laughs> like two and a half, three years. He and he's like, should I tell him that? And I'm like, I'm not going to tell you what you should and shouldn't do, but he certainly has that right. And that's up to you. But I would go to him and I'd just say, look, I don't want to see you have problems. I'm willing to give you five grand if you just want to, you know, move on. And he took it in two seconds. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the house is appreciated 30 grand. <clears throat> he got $35,000 down. He gave back five. He had a tenant that was already there. He's got to work with that tenant until the lease is up. But I mean, seller's fine, and I'm happy to to move in. But that's that's kind of what we were talking about last night. And um, I, I'm with you. I, it's important to me that if I tell someone this is what's going to happen, that that we carry that through. And now we got to rely on someone else to do it, and we just don't know if they are. So I'm going to tell them if they don't call me i'll help yeah offer that recourse to your to your buyer and your seller um that's a great lesson we've talked about that deal jeff uh, i think a yeah. couple of times on uh on some previous episodes yeah many many months ago but uh yeah, yeah. I, I love that one because that that's the only one i've had to deal with that, that's the only and it wasn't even in default uh it was only potential default right right um okay so uh, let me ask you this, Mike, are you buying on seller financing and then um, selling on a land contract? Have you done anything like that where you're buying, um, the, you know, the um, a trust deed uh, and note? So, yes, I haven't done it a lot. And, and before I, I, I actually have the, the whole details pulled up on my phone. I mean, I'm a phone on my computer, but um, I think when I was starting to get going on this is, you know, you're scared about what you don't know on how to talk with sellers about this. My only recommendation is just start trying because I bumbled through so many and I'm good at sales and I've got pretty good, you know, you know, seller awareness, you know, situational awareness. I looked like an idiot the first couple of times I tried even talking about this, but 
don't be afraid to just go in there and ask, hey, would you be open to payments? Right? That's it. That's, that's just a start. No? All right. How come? Or you don't even have to do that part. But that is something that I think, you know, anything salesy, I know is a lot of challenge for a lot of people. If it's not what they're naturally inclined to do, don't be afraid of it. Just get out there and just start asking questions. And if you look like a moron, who cares? Because to the most part, it's probably just the way you think about it. They probably don't think anything other. They think, oh, this super smart investor is offering me something I'm not really interested in. Not that he has no idea what he's talking about or she knows what she's talking about. So if you're worried about it, just go out there and start asking that first question and then seeing if they're open to it because that can open up so many possibilities. And then the more you do it, the more you talk about it, the more comfortable you become because I've been trying to really kind of get this going for about a year now and it's just now starting to get traction for me. I'm like, okay. Michigan, it doesn't work here. It doesn't work here. No, I just didn't do it enough and I didn't bring it up enough and I didn't get comfortable enough because right, if they see me sweating bolts trying to talk about creative finance, are they going to trust me to, to sell to me like that? <laughs> right? So it's just the more and more I talked about it, I, I found a few situations where it made a lot of sense. And then once I went through the whole process from soup to nuts, then I got way more confident in it. Yeah. But that was a long way of kind of, you know, telling your, your listeners that, Hey, don't be afraid to just talk about, cause you're going to stumble, right? We all got to crawl before we walk, you know, fall down a few times and then we'll get there. Right. But, thing, go ahead, Jonathan. Sorry. Yeah. One thing uh, that Jeff always does, it's, it's always a part of his intake script with sellers is to ask that question. And um, I believe his question is, are you open to taking payments for your equity? Uh, and so another thing I would say is, um, so if, if you don't have that question in your seller intake form, or if you don't even have a seller intake form, you need to get one. And that needs to be a question that you always ask. Um, <clears throat> because it's just a numbers game. There's going to be probably more people that say, no, they're not. And they just want to be cashed out, but there's going to be people that are interested uh, in taking payments. Um, and then number two, uh, what I see Jeff do, and this is what I've learned from him. He always makes multiple offers. Um, and all Jeff wants to know is that they might be interested in, in taking payments um, or they're open to terms, right? And then he makes multiple offers. <clears throat> Excuse me. And from there, he just opens a dialogue. And we've talked about this many times on the show. Um, but that's, that's really the, the two things that uh, I, I've learned from Jeff. And if it's okay to tease it a little bit, it's, uh, I, I think I might be on for another episode to talk about a deal that was exactly that. Guy wanted a cash hammer offer. I took, I basically, I just got busy. I'll give you the quick cliff notes so you can, but was busy. I, I was running other appointments. Wasn't a great deal the way he wanted it. Sent me a text. Why didn't you make an offer? I was going to, but I basically said, well, the number you want doesn't make sense. And you weren't open to any kind of payments. Well, I don't understand payments. Can you explain it? So that's where we'll leave the cliffhanger. Cause I think we're going to dissect how I made that offer basically ripping okay. off everything from you guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, All right. Yep. One, one quick note is that I believe that if you talk to a hundred people, a hundred potential sellers and you ask them, are they open to taking payments for their equity? You will get a minimum, a minimum of 35 people that will say, I'd consider it. And you will get as high as 55 to 60 that would also say that they would be open to it. Now, once they see the offer, they may not be so open to it. They may not have totally understood what you're talking about and they're just too embarrassed to tell you that they have no idea what that means. But 35 to 55% will say, 
Yeah, I'd, I'd at least consider it. Yeah, and that's amazing, the door. right? Yeah. yeah. And that opens the door. And then what you do, Jeff, is you get that offer in front of them so they can see it. It's simplified. Every, all the terms are laid out. And then when your acquisition manager gets on the phone, they say, hey, do you have that in front of you? Can we go over this? And you can go over it line by line. Yeah. So I know that's, that's kind of a game changer um, for you know, people who want to start doing more creative financing. Um, always ask the question make multiple offers, get those offers in front of them, and then go over those offers line by line with them. That's oh. so, so Mike, I want to, I want to wrap this episode up because we're going to have you back for another one where we're going to actually look at one of your deals and dive a little deeper into it. But can you give me like one, two quick points about um, just what, what have you learned, you know, jumping into this? I, you just mentioned one about how, you just got to go out and you got to get it out of your mouth, right? I mean, no matter how uncomfortable, maybe how you know, you're not quite sure how to deal with it, but you just got to do it. Um, you have one or two quick points that maybe some of our listeners can say, yeah, that makes sense. I, I could do that too. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the biggest things that I've come to recognize is, because um, it's actually a deal I'm working on right now. Um, <clears throat> it's something that I did take up that we're subject to. The owner was behind on their payments and it was going to the sheriff's sale. So I don't know what that's everywhere, but it's basically they're about to go to put the house up for auction for not making their mortgage payments. Ended up catching them up. I'm keeping that mortgage in place at a 4.5% interest rate, but I'm about 10 years into that mortgage. Now I'm going to go and sell that on land contract. I'm after doing the work, right? Cause there's city stuff that needs to be done. So it was, it was tagged vacant by the city. So there's no way around that now, but essentially is I'm going to try and sell that again at 11%. That's what my goal is shoot for the moon, you know, and, and end up in the stars, that old cheesy one, but it still, still makes sense to me. But the even bigger impact that I've come to recognize is I'm 10 years in. So I'm arbitraging not only the interest, but also where they're at in that payment structure on the amortization schedule. So I'm hitting more principal, right? It's not hitting my bank account, but it's going to paying that whole balance off. So once we hit that point in the future, that, that's basically money that's going to come back to me if they cash me out in a payment or not, or if it just goes, goes to full term because that loan will ultimately fall off. And I just found that you know, being that arbitrage of where they're at in the timeline of their loan, because the, the interest is so front loaded. And yep. that's why, you know, there's usually prepayment penalties with, you know, hard money lenders or people that have those kinds of aggressive notes because they want to make sure they're getting paid. Yeah, that, that, that's a great point. It's not always just about the cash flow. I mean, you're building equity here and someone else is paying for it. And uh, what do you have to do? Even if you were only collecting, by the way, you're not only collecting, if you're getting nine, 10, 11% and your underlying is four and a half percent, you're probably doing just fine uh, with the arbitrage on that payment. But, so the numbers actually are, if I get 11% on a 30 year, I'll make, uh, it'll be a 904 payment from the, the land contract buyer and I'll be paying 457. Yeah, not bad. Uh, when you can create that five hundred dollars, no maintenance, no repairs. Yeah, landlord. That's this awesome. one I will have to do repairs because the city tagged. But um, um, the goal is not to, and I'm going to do whatever they require and try not to do much more than that. Sell it. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, the well, two big things I would say is, you know, don't be afraid of it. Just start trying to. You're gonna, you're mm -hmm. gonna, tr you're gonna stumble through some stuff, and then you know, pay attention to that. If you can take over mortgages, or or if you can raise capital, the kind of like I'm trying to do, where they're they're funding the purchase, 
I can possibly flip it to myself. I have the rehab budget there if needed, but if I can sell it as is. The, the lenders is super happy because I'm giving them, you know, seven, eight percent interest, you know, on the higher end. You know, most normals right in that four to six percent, but they're happy. I'm happy. The buyer can't qualify with somebody else, so they're happy. And and that's really how I try to run most of my businesses is, is you know, find the winning scenario for all parties involved. Right. Right. Well, that's a great point to end this episode on. So we're going to wrap it up right here. And guys, uh, if you're listening, we're going to, uh, we're going to have Mike right back on the next episode. So stay tuned to that. Um, <clears throat> guys, if you want to reach us, we have a creative financing hotline and that number is 877-409-8090. You can leave uh, any questions you have or comments there. Um, or if you're interested in any of Jeff's apprenticeship programs. You can reach him there and just mention that you're interested in the apprenticeship program. He'll reach out to you directly. Um, we're also on the web. You can catch all of our episodes at uh, the creative financing podcast.com and on Facebook at the creative financing podcast. Um, any last words, Jeff? So just in the last week, at least three people have requested uh, if I would give them a copy of my LOI. And my response is, no, I already did. And they're like, what? So go when you, all you have to do is go to our podcast on probably the last, I don't know, 20 episodes, 15 episodes. If you just text, uh, what is it? Creative Financing Podcast or CFP to our hotline number. Um, you can request this video that I did. You will get, you will see a copy of my LOI um, start to finish. Uh, I think you'll like it. It's free. We don't want anything for it. Uh, but stop requesting my LOI. Just go get the video. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So text, text our hotline number 877-409-8090. Just text CFP or um, Creative Financing and it will send you the link for that video. So definitely go get that. Cool, guys. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate awesome. you. Um, you. Thanks for all the compliments. Um, this has really been a labor of love um, for Jeff and I. Um, and so we're, you know, we're hoping to continue to build this thing and we, we need the support of our audience. And so um, it's, it's awesome that you're going out there. You're using this. Um, you're a testimonial for us, um, you know, especially for what Jeff teaches. So thanks for that. Guys, um, and, and, hey, we've been foolish not to mention our milestone that's about to come up like next week. Uh, so we will hit over 50,000 downloads next week. Um, no way when we talked about doing this, Jonathan, do I think we'd be you know, 80 <laughs> plus episodes in with 50 plus thousand downloads. But to be honest, my goal is really to triple that over the next 12 months. And so if you like what you hear, rate us, review us, share us, uh, get the word out. Yes. Do please. it, peeps. Share <laughs> this with everybody. Post it on Facebook. Five-star reviews. Do it. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, guys. Until next time, go out there and create some terms. Thanks for listening to the Creative Financing Podcast. We need your feedback to continue to bring you the best strategies in creative financing. So please subscribe, rate, and review this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We greatly appreciate your ear and please pass this on. Until next time, create some terms.
This show offers general information on creative financing strategies and real estate investments. Nothing contained herein should be considered personal, legal, or financial advice. Every state has individual laws governing the use and type of documents used to execute strategies discussed herein. You should consult with a local licensed real estate broker and attorney before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed, and opinions of the guests are their own. Profits are not guaranteed, and there's always inherent risk in real estate investing.